teeny tiny working hard. It's a John Curley, Sherry Elliger show without Sherry Elliger. Jack Stein's here filling in, diving in. Went up a high dive. Took me a little longer to get to the top of the step there. <laughs> All righty. This is a sad, sad. You know, I, I read this story in USA Today about Russell Wilson. And uh, they dug in. They said they spent six months to do the investigation into this thing, which is when a lot of news organizations don't spend that much time on these things anymore. But uh, after six months, what do they find out, Jack? So apparently uh, the amount of money that they were taking in, which is, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, the according to the form 990 federal tax returns, the Why Not You Foundation generated $7.5 million in revenue and reported $7 million in expenses in its first eight years after its inception in 2014. That rounding, you know, I'm not really that good with math, John, but that looks like about maybe 20 cents out of every dollar, maybe 15 cents out of every dollar was uh, actually going to charity. And the rest was going to salaries, including people who are in Russell Wilson's family, uh, benefits packages, millions of dollars raised, and and basically as a as a as a program for his own little little company of people to make money off of charity. It's actually pretty sad in so many ways that Russell Wilson would would do this to people who thought that they were donating to a good cause, but were actually paying for vacations and benefits packages and health insurance for other people. Eesh. Um, I assume the beginning. Numbers weren't just startup costs, kind of, you know, buying office furniture and stuff like that. In order to yeah. get going. And once they get yeah. going, yeah. Do you want me to break it down for you even uh, more? The the, chi- the chief strategy no, officer? No, it's, <laughs> it, it, uh, it's, you sure, John? Because um, they're, they're making John Curley money here. They're making John. <laughs> they're, not, they're not making yeah. Jack Stein money. I'll tell you that much, John. They're making uh, pretty good money here for somebody who, uh, you know, John, I, you work hard. You're a hardworking guy. Uh, the, the amount of time. So just as an instance, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Pickett was paid $60,000 for 15 hours of work per week. Yeah. So that is a, an amazing amount of money for doing basically nothing. I had a, I raised money for about 60 or 70 nonprofits a year and probably about seven or eight years, maybe a little longer than that. I Just before I went up on stage to raise money for a particular nonprofit, this guy who was on the board, who's not on the board anymore, came over and he said, I can tell you something right now. These people are ripping, ripping these people off. And I said, what do you mean? And then he told me the guy's brother's on the board, his sister's on the board. He's paying them 150000 each to be on the board. And the money, he goes, very little of this is going to research. It's just this, it's turned into this kind of cushy thing that um, that uh, the family is just ripping everybody off. I, I, that was just before I went up there. And then you had to stand on stage and said, we're trying to raise money. We're trying to be whatever it is it the organ. I won't say it out loud what it was. And, and you think of, wow, you feel awful having people generously give, you know, 25000 or $50,000 thinking that they're finding a cure or helping somebody and, there are a lot of these nonprofits, especially these uh, sports organizations. These sports guys get these things because it looks good and it's a way of kind of moving money around. Um, and if they've caught uh, Russell and the rest of the gang there with his, what's the name of the organization? 
something. Why you not you foundation? Or... The why not you foundation? Oh, and John, somebody did the math for me. It's twenty four point three cents out of every dollar. <laughs> okay, I did the so math bad. for you. That's not so yeah. good. You can there's a um, na- uh, charitynavigator.org does a pretty good job of taking a look at all of the uh, federal forms that need to be filled out. They show how much money comes in, and then they give them stars, you know, one to five or one to a, or zero to a hundred, and they basically tell you where the person, where that organization stands, based upon the filters and based upon you know the the algorithm that they 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 put all the numbers through to determine you know. Are they doing a good job? Are they serving their purpose? Is the money being spent on the cause? How much is going to, um, you know, to overhead? And then how much is actually going uh, to the true causes? So this is, do we have sound from what this is? Oh, this is Jack, Jason Wolf, who was talking. He's worked on the USA Today piece. He said. Much of what, you know, the Russell Wilson Foundation does in terms of saying that, oh, well, together we donated $10 million with Safeway and Albertson to, Seattle Children's Hospital. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that might be true. Um, but when you look at the tax records, it's like 800000 from the Russell Wilson Foundation, and it's $10 million from Safeway and Albertson. And half of that money was donated before Safeway and Albertson says they even partnered with the Russell Wilson Foundation. So, you know, you have this nonprofit that's, that's taking credit for, for doing more than what its tax records reveal. Yeah, Wolf goes on to say that uh, paying people in the charity, this like you were just saying. The fact that the Why Not You Foundation is paying a quarter million dollars a year to an executive uh, who is also working for the Wilson family office, that raises major red flags for people in the nonprofit sector. That was from the GNR show Jason was on there. And then Mike Salk over on our sister station at the sports Another one of these stupid exaggerations. Oh, I don't sleep. Dude, everybody sleeps. (laughs) Everybody sleeps. You need sleep, too. And maybe if you were getting more sleep, you'd have time to notice what was going on in your foundation. It's just these exaggerations, the hyperbole, this this image that he seems to be trying to craft all the time. And then you know what's nice? It isn't true. (sighs) I'll give you a perfect example. John. No, I am for a number of reasons. I just, I, I want to believe he's a good guy. I think he struggles as to who he is. And people sort of point to, you know, like Samson, Goliath, Samson cutting off his hair. I forget the biblical. Who's the person that sort of was a David and Abishag, the Shunammite? I can't remember my biblical references, but it just feels like ever since Sierra came into his life. Ever since Sierra came into his life, things have gone downhill for the guy. I don't know. I don't want to blame it on her, but I think he's always looking at someone's gotten to him and said, listen, you have to have a future after football. So get involved in this and get involved in that and, and, and have this as a, as a business and, you know, you know, let's sell bread eat the ball the remember all the bread that they brought in and did you were you there you weren't there you were going to Cairo they're dropping all these balls <laughs> foot shaped like a football and it was awful <laughs> and then he had this concussion drink You're supposed to drink that you know you'll get a concussion you recover from concussions yeah it just seems like everything he touched was sort of his had a stink on it and then this and then he had a cologne and a perfume and then this foundation and giving the money I would just 
I would like to hope, I would hope to think that he's just busy trying to think about football and maybe he took his eye off of this and the foundation don't, you know, trust us. We'll, we'll work all this sort of stuff out. Um, I'll give you a great example. So the Jimmy V Foundation, which has been around for 25 years coming up, Jimmy Valvano, uh, outstanding coach in North Carolina, right before he dies, tells Bob Lloyd, Bob Lloyd was his roommate at Rutgers, said, listen, Bob, I, I, we got to do something. I can't just let this cancer take me down. You can watch him do his famous SB awards, right, about never give up, never give up, never give up. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, Jimmy dies, Jimmy Valvano dies, and then the uh, Jimmy V Foundation starts. And this thing is, if they, they don't take any salaries. So someone like Bob Lloyd, who's on the board, executive director, I think, Everywhere he flew, which was all across the country, he paid for his own bills. Everything that they did, they made sure that the money was not being spent other than, you know, the majority of it, huge amounts of the money uh, going directly to the cause for finding care for cancer. So that is an organization that is like, I mean, they run, you know, just bare bones, very little expense, and all of it going to find this cure. That's the example of like, that's the best, the best I had found of all the organizations. Like, there's other great ones as well, but that's a big, big one that people probably remember or probably know and maybe would have supported. But you see this and you think, man, they're just using this thing as a honeypot and you're paying off your, your, your relatives and giving them big amounts of money. This is going to be the end of this organization. And then it also drags down Russell Wilson because now it seems like he's a dishonest individual. And he is not what he appears to be. Do you think it hurts, that they... it hurts me because he's he's my guy. He's my son's hero, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's this okay. idea of like yeah. we we make gods out of these guys. We make them demigods, yeah. right? They're great on the football field. Everybody loves them. They sell potato chips or sell whatever they're selling, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bitcoin or whatever else, and, and we we we've, we've made them. They're, they're celebrities, but they're heroes, but they're just, they have all of this power and we give them the power. And then they ask you for donations to different organizations and you just assume that they're honest. It just, it just hurts to see stories like this come out about Russell Wilson. My assumption is this, John, and please let me know what you think about this. Is that, uh-huh. is, is it somebody went to Russell and they said, let's start a foundation? All great athletes have a foundation. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, they've all got LeBron James. They've all got a foundation. Let's do a foundation. And Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson goes, okay, that sounds like a great idea. They set it up for him. They do all the, the, the back end stuff. I don't think that he knew about any of it. So uh, this is just me, my assumption. I think that he thought that everything was above board and he was being like LeBron James or Tom Brady. And I think that he thought that that was part of his legacy Again, this could be just my bias on this. I don't think that somebody who has a contract or has had the amount of money that he has had over his career is going to quibble over $7 million over the over eight years. I just don't see it. I think that this is somebody who tapped him on the shoulder and said, can we put your face on this foundation? I want to believe that. Okay. Um, because if not... The adverse would be he knew, and if he knew, then he knew that there was, you're not stealing necessarily, but you're not really delivering on what you say that you're going to deliver on, and you are intentionally moving money to places 
then it's not going to the cause. Um, there's a great TED Talk from the guy, one of the guys who used to work with um, the Race for the Cure, uh, Susan B. Coleman. And he was saying, you know, it's not fair if you judge organizations like ours by how much money goes to um, the actual cause. He says, you know, a big part of it needs to be spent on marketing because they were blasting away at them for why do you spend so much on the egos? Listen, if we spend, if we get a dollar and we spend, you know, 40 cents of that dollar on administrative and, and marketing and other things, but then it generates other money for us. You have to look at it, our sort of our business model in its totality and see the effects we're having. Um, and it's a really great speech to direct anybody to see that TED talk as he explains how to judge nonprofit success. But again, it's this thing where all of a sudden you find out that maybe someone is not as honest or they're not the person that you think that they are. He has definitely changed. Remember, he would, you know, you know, always talking about God and Jesus. And then all of a sudden he stopped doing that. And some of the players that were working with him got tired of all of his sort of rah-rah stuff. They said that wasn't real either. And then who is this guy? And why do we need him to be a particular way? I forget who, what the athlete was. Oh, who was a famous sports athlete that said, I'm not a hero. Don't look up to me. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not there to be idolized. I'm just there to play ball or whatever it was. I forget who made that famous comment about, you know, don't make me a hero. I'm not a hero. Um, and it might have, that might have been a Katy Perry song. Anyway, um, I guess they got some, I guess they got some explaining to do on this one. I think the, uh, the foundation did come out and they made a comment. I think King Five had that story as well, responding to it. No, no, no. You know, the money is here and the money's there and you say enough stuff that people's eyes sort of glaze over. So, um, whether they're going to be able to continue to raise funds or not, it's going to be a whole different story. Yeah, I, I don't think they will be. I mean, once you get this kind of PR, who wants to? Who would want to send money knowing that you're paying for somebody's cell phone bill? You know, who would want to? When it's supposed to be going to kids, why would you? Why would you send money knowing that a guy made sixty thousand dollars doing fifteen hours of of work as the chief financial consultant or whatever it is? Yeah, that's the, that's the shame about it, John. I think you know more about this than anybody else is that people like to give money to charity. They just want to know that it's going to a good cause and they want to know that it's, it's actually, you know, it has the momentum behind it to actually get to kids or to dogs or orphans or whatever it is. And when you find out that it's going towards vacations and, and packages like how these people were getting, I don't think you ever recover from that as an organization. No, I've done a couple where, at the end, you know, two weeks later or a week later, I asked to see how it went. What were the numbers like? Can you show me the breakdown? And I've done some where, you know, they raised a quarter of a million or $500,000. And then when they give you the expense thing, if you, if they're honest with you, they show you the whole thing. And you're like, guys, you made, you made $18,000 by the time you paid for the ban and paid for this and paid for that. And, and they realized, oh, we just threw a great big party. We thought we were going to be able to have more money. It's like yeah, some some nonprofits not well run, and you're know, like, if, if people knew that you, you raised five hundred and you paid the band and paid the guy and paid the caterer and paid the hotel and paid this and paid 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 all the way down, and hardly anything was left over, they'd be less likely to come back the next year. So, um, charity charity navigator, a, a great site to look for to see if you're giving the money to a good cause. So, oh, come on, go Hawks. Come on, Russell. Come on. 
Come on, Russell. Come on. Come on. Get away from Abishag. Abishag the Shunammite. Okay. Why is that so funny? Abishag the Shunammite. Because it's, it's a biblical That's reference. Oh, I got to was David, David got caught looking out the window at Abishag the Shunammite. Oh, you know, I'm not going to waste. I'm not, I don't know. No, non-believer. Non-believer. Heretic. <laughs> Cairo 7's Jesse Jones warned us about a real estate deal that could follow you after you're gone and leave your family on the hook. Jesse talks to one local family who is sadly paying that price after the death of their loved one. Jesse investigates how signing with this company could cost you and your family more than you even realized. Watch tonight at 5.30 p.m. only on Cairo 7 TV. Did I get that, John? Did I nail that one? we've got here is failure to communicate. That's right. All right. No, you got it. Good job. Like, tuning in and go by TV. Just watch all that and watch what Jesse does. Don't forget Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service. You know, you know Jack, Bucky's been around for, oof, my gosh, think about now, 52 years. That's right. Wow. 16 locations. Take your car. Take your car. To, I'm in the middle of a spot to Bucky's, Bucky's Auto Service Centers. I always catch Sherry with that one, too. She's gotten good at it. Gold rush happening in, the in, uh, in Republic, Washington. Great Republic. Will you stop? Not that funny. I'm in the yet. middle of a spot. I'm, excuse me, Jack. I know we're both professional. I'm in the middle of a spot right now. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what that is, is I get I I did this to Sherry like about four. Remember this, Andrew? Like four or five months ago. I remember. I yeah. stopped. I stopped and I went. You know, Sherry, they've been around for 52 years. She goes, "Wow, that's." A, I said, "Sherry, Sherry, I'm in the middle of a spot," <laughs> and I did it to her like five times. I caught her. And then I would make a long pause. It's 16 locations at Bucky's. How about that, Sherry? And she, it, I could hear her just wanting to, and I, she didn't see, then she learned to be silent. Oh, she's like a sister. Love the teaser. All right. Well, guess what? If you want to get yourself some money, there's gold in them there hills. There's a big gold rush happening in Republic Washington, but good luck because, um, They've got huge trucks that are moving in there. I forget the name of the organization. Some business in there trying to dig all the gold out. But uh, card the gold rush right happening. Right now, I think that this gold price is up to date. Now is the time to get excited. I'm planning on making up my biggest season ever. Make some real money. That's on the TV show Gold Rush. <laughs> well, they found some gold in Republic Washington. Look out, everybody. You heading up there? Huh? I mean, well, I mean, it's already owned by Caliber Mining Corporation, John. I mean, it's $3 billion. They call the land the Golden Eagle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a very unoriginal name. Why not call it something cool, right? The Golden Eagle is kind of not as cool. What would you call it, John? You got a creative mind. It sounds like a casino, Republic Washington's gold town. (laughs) The... This, uh, that little town, by the way, you know, gold is one of these things like you always see those guys on those TV commercials on the cable news, you know, about you buy gold. It's a great hedge against inflation. That hasn't always been the case. Gold goes up in demand, down in demand. It all depends on how strong the U.S. dollar is, U.S. dollar strong or a white week. Uh, they expect it to go up. I saw a forecast on it. By the end of 2023, the price of gold could go up to about $1,800. I get, was that an ounce or something like that? Um, it's primarily yeah, yeah. used, it's used in jewelry. Um, and I saw that if they find more of it, I kept thinking, if you find more of it, does it devalue it? 
Not necessarily. It really is based upon how uh, what the Fed is doing with the dollars and once we came off the gold standard. But I've got a lot of friends of mine that um, also own a lot of guns and will sit around and talk about who really shot Kennedy. Um, that's Fred. <laughs> and my friend Fred is listening right now. You better get some gold. I'm like, really? Wait, really? Yeah, get some gold. I'm telling you right now, it's coming down. It's all, it's the whole, this whole thing, the, you know, <laughs> the world order and this other thing, storing gold and storing bottles of urine and a whole bunch of other than ammunition. Right. And they, they're ready. They're ready. Well, John, this was always my question is that whenever you listen to, you listen to Dennis Prager, what does he say? He's, you got to go buy any conservative media out there. They tell you to buy gold. It's a hedge against inflation, so on and so forth. And then you listen to Alex Jones and he says, well, you got to buy gold for when we have societal collapse, right? But if we have societal collapse, what do I need with gold? At that point in time, bullets and alcohol are going to be literally worth their weight in gold. So why would I, what am I going to use gold for in the apocalypse? Can you answer me that question? Shiny well, thing. Well, a fine, uh, um, it'd be used for currency. You know, prior to um, when they started minting coins, you know what they used to use for currency as as uh, a way of showing that you had some sort of wealth. Young women, here you go. Ready? Uh, Jeopardy's music on this one. <laughs> Ready? Young men would meet possible wives at the dock coming over from England. They carried this on their shoulders to show the young women that they had great wealth. A goose, a fine fat goose. No. <laughs> Chris? What is a fine fat goose? <laughs> It was a form of currency. They weren't handing geese around. It, um, bundles of tobacco. Bundles of tobacco oh. is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and it was a form of currency, uh, before they started minting, uh, coins. So you would have, but then people were like, this is ridiculous. You go to the store, you want to buy, you know, grain for your cow. You come in with gigantic barrels of, of tobacco. So then what they had was a warehouse that would be storing all the tobacco and you got this bond or the certificate saying, yes, I'm good for this because I have, you know, 50 bales of tobacco. Well, what happened was people started to counterfeit. Um, and got, and they would grow crappy tobacco and on the bale, the outside would be good looking, you know, leaves of tobacco and the inside would be a bunch of junk. There was that. Plus, if you were caught going into somebody's tobacco field and stealing their tobacco, um, you would, could, you would be sentenced to death or you could shoot the person right there and nobody even blinked twice. Maybe the guy that just got shot blinked a couple of times before dying, but that was a form <laughs> of currency when the United States was first getting started. Giant, big hunks, big bales of tobacco. So there you go. Anyway, um, I don't know if tobacco, I don't know if, uh, gold goes up. Uh, one of the highest points it was, I think it was $2,000 an ounce or something and it came back down again. But it's one of these things people always tell you, have some gold, have some money in precious metals. Never yeah, but they, quite... they always say have some, you know, diversify your portfolio or whatever, but they never say how much exactly I need. Do I need four ounces? Mm -hmm. Do I need an eight ounce? You know what I mean? It's, I feel like it's give me a number of how much of my. And also, John, here's the, the other thing about it. How many people have stock portfolios where they go, hmm, I'm going to put 15 percent of it in gold bond. You know what I mean? It's, it seems like a really 
It's the kind of thing that only a select few people who are as wealthy as John Curley are oh. currently would, right? would be like, oh, yeah, put 10 percent of my my wealth into gold stock. Like Chris Martin, do you have a, do you have a stock portfolio? Do you trade? Uh, yeah, I have. A, it's a really small, but yeah, a little bit. See that? See that? Gold? There you go. Uh, no, I've always yeah, gold. I've always wondered about the gold thing too. It's like, why do I need gold if the whole society? You got to diversify, apart? man. You got to diversify you know, your society. Bonds. I'm Listen telling you, it, when it comes to an end, you're going to get it. I remember one time going to this um, uh, um, rare coins guy in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. I thought, well, maybe I'm going to like, I'm going to get a coin, like a rare coin that's going to have some value. And I walked in. I was like 14 years old. This gross guy behind the counter. I said, do you have any coins that are presently out of circulation? <laughs> and the guy reaches into his gross, weird trousers and pulls out a nickel. He goes, hey, here's a nickel that's out of circulation. It's been in my pants for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that nickel. And that man's name was <laughs> Walt Disney. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Sorry. Here we go. Riding to us is good and good for you. Nine out of ten dentists recommend that. I'm quite sure why dentists are involved in that, but we appreciate it. You write to us at MyNorthwest.com. Come on three state review text line one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. Chris Martin in the pre-show was uh, going through. He's filling in for uh, Jacob, and he said that uh, what he found to be most interesting about this article regarding of how many, how often you're supposed to wash your clothes. <laughs> you just amazed at the detail that they had gone into at CNN Health. How many times can you wear your pajamas, jeans, and other clothes without washing them? The experts weigh in. What, what caught your fancy on this one? <laughs> I just, I, it seems like something you could talk about for about one or two minutes, you know, just like, oh yeah, I wear my pajamas uh, five times and then yeah. some trigger some story, but they just, it went, the article went on and on and on. It was crazy. <laughs> and then they broke it all down to your overcoat. How many times do you wear that? Your pajamas. Yeah. If you don't do this, that you wear them for one week and socks. No. And then if you work out clothes, don't dry them out and put them back on again. I mean, it really was some life saving information regarding when to wash the clothes. If you usually shower before bed, wear underwear and sweat little to none when wearing pajamas, you could wear them for a week without washing experts said. Hmm. Experts. You know, Tom and I did a story once that when you yeah. make your bed, when you make your bed, as you put the covers back over top, that you are creating an environment for the breeding of all the bugs and bacteria because they like when the bed is made because there's still moisture mm. in the bed, there's still heat in the bed, and you're creating the environment by putting the cover over so it's nice and dark. So the best thing you can do for all those weird little microorganisms and all the other stuff that feed off all your dead skin inside the bed is to make the bed. And Tom said, and Tom prided himself on being able to fold a fitted sheet. I remember that was one thing. And also, he said the next day we went to make the bed, he kept thinking, oh, God, you know, flipping the cover up. And here you go. He didn't say this, but, you know, all right, bugs, here you go. Go at it. 
Jack. Well, but those are the, those bugs are good for you though, John. I mean, otherwise we'd be walking. You know, they they we have a symbiotic relationship with them, and they they eat our dead skin cells, and and they keep us from you know having tons of dead skin all over our bed and all over our house. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is a yeah. this is a good thing. They ask for little in return. It seems like very little in return. Um, <laughs> the not having a washer or dryer for the longest time, I used to wash my clothes in the spring and summer in a great big metal garbage can, which I took video of, give it to Jacob. He put it up, and then, of course, in like two days, it had like 3,800 hits of people watching. I would put the clothes in, put the water, and then put the detergent in, and then I would play a Luke Combs song or a Luke Bryan song, and I would, you know, march in the can for two or three minutes, four minutes, and then put them on a clothesline. And it seemed to work just, just fine in the spring and summer. Who's Luke Combs? Who, who is, I've not heard this person before. Okay. You know what? Why don't you just tell all of our listeners that you hate them? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You, you might as well have said John Philip Souza. I mean, I don't, what are you talking about? John, Luke Combs. This is an obscure music reference that you just thrown out at me. Who are you talking about? Uh, the drummer from Toto? What are we talking about here? Oh, Jack, you really want to keep talking like that? <laughs> I don't know who this person is. Should I Google you don't it know right Luke, now? You don't know Luke Combs? Yeah, look him up. Shame He's an American singer-songwriter, and uh, he looks like a—he uh, looks like a very nice young man. He looks like a very nice. So you were listening to Luke Combs. He looks like a country western singer, and you, you and you were listening to him uh, sing country western tunes yeah. while you stepped on your dirty clothes in the in the attempt that they would be clean by the time he took them out. And so they what, are. What was it, was it Beer Never Broke My Heart? Was that the one you were washing your clothes in a bucket to, John? Or was it uh, 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 When It Rains, It Pours? Woody H.P. Johnson on a flatbed metal boat. <laughs> Coke cans and BB guns, a rising old tin coat. Ape boxy in autumn. And a fresh cut, cut. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Now, and I'm going to waste them on you. <laughs> one hand on the wheel. Seems, seems, but no better together. Never mind. Never mind.